0: Over the last several years, we have prayed for mercy for those impacted by the violence in Chicago. This past week, the violence has impacted EBF and we need mercy. Alan, who many of you may know as Nick, has been attending EBF for several months now along with a longtime EBFer, Jerry Mosley. This past week, his 20-year-old daughter, Kaylin, uh, was shot and killed. Kaylin was just worshiping with us last month. She was here a couple times. Perhaps you met her. Maybe some of you knew her. I know there's a couple of you who may have gone to high school with her at Evanston. Last night, there was a candlelight uh, vigil on the street where she grew up in the park there. And I know um, they would appreciate it if you continue to pray for the family. You can also um, take some food to their house. They live at 418 Callen over here in Evanston, 418 Callan. You you don't have to ring the doorbell, knock on the door or anything, just drop food off. They would appreciate that. 418 Callen. Let's go ahead and pray for them right now. Let's pray. Father, when we're in situations like this, we're not even quite sure what to say to one another. We're not even quite sure what to pray. And so with you, we can voice our frustrations. We can voice our anger. We can voice our sadness. We can just tell you we don't know what's going on. We know it's a broken world. We understand things theologically. We get that theologically. But when we see it senseless, pointless, violence, what seems to be so random, we have to believe that you are still God and you are still control. And so right now we pray for Kaylin's sister Chantal. We pray for her mom. And we pray for, for Alan and his wife Dionne. We pray for mercy. We pray that you give them your truth, your comfort, the reality of yourself. And we also ask for justice. We know it comes. We know it comes eventually. And we ask it sooner than later. Pray for the people involved of this evil. They to repent and come to Jesus. And Lord, we're asking you to take something that's so terrible and so awful. And that which the enemy means for evil, that you will turn it for good in ways we don't understand. But we know that through Jesus we have hope. We have hope. And so we come to you now. And as we get into your word this morning, may we realize that what we're studying is real, what we're studying is alive. We're not coming to any uh, sentimental things here. We're not just trying to think things make us feel better. We're coming to what's real. And that's you. And so may we believe your word this morning and may it speak truth to us as we live in that which is true, and that's, that's Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Before we jump into the book of James, where we've been this past fall, I want to give you a verse from the Apostle Paul. I'm going to put it up for you. It's found in 2 Corinthians 13.5. You don't need to turn there. I'll just put it up. The Word of God says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Does this sound strange to you? Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Perhaps when you heard the gospel of Jesus and you responded, maybe someone said to you right after you responded to faith in Jesus, they told you right afterwards a verse on assurance. And they said, Never doubt your salvation, never question whether you are saved or not. And I would say the Bible offers. Plenty of verses on the insurance of our salvation and that you can know that you are saved. However, one of the ways that you can know that you are saved is by testing yourself, is by examining yourself. Are you truly a Christian? It is okay for believers to ask themselves the questions, not in a morbid way, not over-examination like maybe some of the Puritans would do, but from time to time, we have to pause and say, am I a Christian? Really? Do I really believe? This morning, that's where we're going. We're going to test ourselves, examine ourselves to see whether or not, We're in the faith that we truly believe. And one of those tests is in the book of James. And we find it in James chapter 2. For those of you who have not been with us, perhaps you've been visiting uh, this morning, Uh, we've been in the book of James. And James is concerned that this church actually believe what they say they believe. If they say they believe in Jesus Christ, then there will be evidence of that belief. He is concerned that the church not only hear the word of God, but actually do it. Obey it. Obey it in living a life of holiness. Obey it in caring for orphans and widows. Obey it in controlling your tongue. Obey it in putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and keeping unstained from the world. If you are truly a Christian, then you will display the fruit of a Christian. If you have been saved and transformed inwardly, the gospel will spill out of you into a life of obedience. Not perfectly, all right? We're not in heaven yet. Not perfectly. But if you're a believer, you desire to obey the Lord. There is fruit. There is evidence that Jesus truly is your Lord. If you have real faith, then that faith will work and bear fruit. Does your faith work? The Word of God is going to put you to a test, to examine yourself, to see if your faith works, because real faith works. Let's go ahead and jump in. We're in James chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 14. A little confused here last week. We were in James 3 last week. I was gone. I really wanted to preach this passage, so we're going out of order. You can figure it out. James chapter 2. Let's start with verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that... Faith save him? If someone claims to have faith but does not produce works, can that faith save him? By works, the Bible is talking about bearing fruit or obeying the commands of God. If at the judgment a person stands before God with a faith that did not work, will God say, Come on in? Or will God say, Stay out? A couple weeks ago, I was reading about uh, some party crashers in New York. These are guys that just, uh, this is what they do with their life. They try to get into the the, the best New York parties that they're not invited to. Uh, so they will go in and they will dress up and they will stay in a line and they'll try to sneak in by knowing someone in line or they'll try to uh, sneak in by maybe being on the wait staff <laughs> or some way, any way that they can come in crash a party, eat the free food, get the free drinks, get the swag bag, and then... They go do it again, same night, different party. Not invited, and yet they crash it. Heaven's not like that. If you're not invited, there'll be no crashing. You will not get in. And so I ask you again, if you stand before God at judgment with a faith that did not work, will God let you in or keep you out? And James is going to argue that at the judgment, a faith that does not express works will not save. Now now be careful here. Be careful. James is not saying that you are saved by works. James is not saying that you are saved by faith plus works. Do not think this is a sermon that I'm calling you to add works to your faith. James is not arguing that you are saved by a faith that is plus works. He is arguing that you are saved by a faith that works. A lot of people think that James is hating on faith. He's not hating on faith. In fact, if you look at chapter 2, he begins uh, chapter 2 by talking about those who have faith in verse 1, those who have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. James is all for faith, but for real faith that works. Now, since we're a studying church, we're going to do a little study right here. I'm going to frame this, this argument a bit and give you some context. Many people think that Paul and James contradict. Remember Paul? He wrote the book of Romans. Many people think that what he says in Romans and what James says in the book of James is contradiction. And, and what we're going to argue this morning that it, it's not a contradiction. And to give you a little um, picture or illustration is uh, my, my son, my middle son, he is uh, nine years old. His name is Roman James. How about that? Roman James. To show you that the book of Romans and James does not contradict, but could be held together. Now, I'm not sure I thought of all those theological implications, but it makes for a good illustration. So let's see what Paul and James say and put it side by side. All right, let's look at this. Let me put up Romans... Uh, 3.28 and James 2.24. All right, check it out. Romans 3.28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That's what Paul says. James says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Who? What's going on there? Many will say, yeah, you see, they're, they're contradicting one another. Be sure you listen. It is important to keep in mind that Paul and James are dealing with different problems. And they are framing framing an argument to oppose different opponents. Paul is combating those who believe they are saved by keeping certain aspects of the law, what's called works righteousness. Paul is dealing with those people who believe that if they keep the Ten Commandments, then they're in. But James His opponents, he's combating those who claim to be saved by faith, regardless of how they act. This is called easy believism. That is, if I mouth the right words, I'm in. Someone has put it like this Rather than viewing James and Paul as fighting toe to toe with each other, they are actually, you ready for this? They are actually back to back duking it out with others. All right, not good? So Paul is duking it out with those who think they can earn their salvation by good works. And James is duking it out with those who think that assenting to the right doctrine is real faith. We see these tendencies even among us. Think that you can go to heaven. You ask, why is God going to let you into heaven? What do they say? Well, I've been a good person. My good works are going to get me to heaven. Paul would deal with that. Or you talk to someone and say, well, why are you going to heaven? And they'll say, well, Jesus Christ is my Savior. And yet, there is no obedience. They're just mouthing the right words. That's what we're dealing with today. Something called easy believism. Those who claim to believe and have punched their ticket to heaven, but works are lacking in one sense, they would say, Jesus is my Savior, but there would be no indication in their life that Jesus is Lord. I don't know if this is a big problem in the Midwest, but down south, where I'm from in Texas, you have a lot of people that will tell you, Jesus is my Savior. You can go out club and get drink, do some drugs. You can meet a lot of people whose Savior is Jesus. Because down south, they walk an aisle, they pray a prayer, they're in. Jesus is Savior. But there's no indication that their faith is working. There's no indication that Jesus is Lord. And the question is, can a faith that does not work stand up in the judgment? Let's keep going. Verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is reflecting on a little bit what he said previous passage about the church's ill treatment of those who are poor. The situation here is that a Christian or brother who lacks daily food and is poorly clothed. This person needs their brothers and sisters to step up and get them some clothes and feed them. But instead they get a useless blessing. I, play you, I pray you have a great day. Go in peace. Come on, stay warm. I'm, why don't you go get something to eat? We would all agree that spiritual words are completely pointless without love in action. That is the point he's getting at in verse 17. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If you're not living out what you say you believe, that is dead faith. Dead faith is non faith. Dead faith will not stand in the judgment. Dead faith does not save. Jesus talks like this. Jesus talks like this in Matthew 25. That the way we treat our brothers and sisters in need is the way we treat him. If we diss them, we are dissing him. Let me put this up for you. Matthew 25. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Once again, dead faith will not stand in the judgment. Dead faith does not save. James' argument develops into a challenge from an imaginary opponent. Jump down to verse 18, look at it again. First part says, but someone will say you have faith and I have works. He knows that some in the church are thinking along uh, these lines. Their argument is, James, man, you're being way too harsh because there are clearly some people who have the gift of faith and some who have the gift of works. It's just how we're wired, James. There are the faith people and then there are the works people. And James is going to say, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. You don't have your action Christians and then your faith Christians, but you only have Christians who demonstrate their faith in action. I'm going to say it again. You don't have action Christians and faith Christians, but only Christians who demonstrate their faith in action. Look at what he says in verse 18 again. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. How are you going to demonstrate your faith apart from works? You can't. James is arguing, I'll show you my faith by what I do. I'm just making sure you're not misunderstanding me, BF. This is not a call to turn on the good works. They are either there or they're not. They are either there and springing from your faith, reality of existence of Jesus Christ, being Lord of your life, the Holy Spirit living in you, or they're just not there. You see, I'm not trying to say, okay, now if you can demonstrate good works, then you can get on the good side of God. Maybe you can help the poor, then God will finally love you and like you. No, what we're saying is, no, God loves you through Jesus Christ. You repent and believe in him, and out of that springs a care for the poor. We're not trying to say, tack on good works. What we're really trying to say is, has the gospel changed your life? Has Jesus changed your life? Because real faith works. Now, James is going to get really harsh here by comparing faith without works to the faith of demons. Look at verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Demons have good theology. Demons may even have better theology than you. They could probably sign off on our doctrinal statement. They believe the Jewish daily creed in Deuteronomy 6.4 that says God is one. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that Jesus died and rose again and that he is the judge. And all of this truth scares them and makes them shudder. Intellectual assent to the right doctrines will not save the demons from the wrath of God. Intellectual assent to the right doctrines will not save you from the wrath of God. There are many so-called Christians that fill churches all over America and all over the world who have, I'm I'm just going to use James lingo, who have demonic faith. They may say, that they know and study sound doctrine, they may sing worship songs and hymns, and they may make the right affirmations of faith, may have gone through confirmation class, may have all the theology lined up just right, go to their home, they have systematic theology books at their home, but there is no fruit of obedience. Well, then their faith is no better than the demon's. Because true faith in Jesus Christ penetrates your head and your heart and your hands. True faith or real faith works. And James proves his point... That faith without works is dead, by looking at a couple of Old Testament figures. And we're really gonna have to dive deep here, because this is some this is some hard stuff here. This is the the meat of God's word. So let's start with a couple of Old Testament figures by by start by looking at Abraham. Look at verse twenty. Do you want to be shown, (laughs) you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Does that, does that make you, your ears hurt, just for the record? Justified by works. Ooh, what does that do to you? <laughs> I thought we were justified by faith. I mean, that may startle your ears. But, but let's head back. Remember, for Paul, let's head back to Paul for a moment. And I'm going I'm to show you this context. It comes from Romans chapter let's go back to Paul, Romans 4. He says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Once again, Paul and James are not fighting each other toe-to-toe, but back-to-back against their particular opponents. And that context helps us understand this. Remember, Paul is arguing against those who think they can keep the commandments, they can do good works, and obey the law that can get them into heaven. And Paul is arguing, no, you will not get into heaven by obeying the law. You cannot be saved by displaying these good works. It is by faith alone, being justified by faith in Christ alone. And he argues, this is Paul, he argues from Genesis chapter 15. And from Genesis chapter 15, Paul shows that Abraham was declared righteous before God through faith alone. Now, a little context here. Abraham received a promise of a natural son and he would have many descendants at the time. uh, He was childless. And so Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness or he was justified by faith. Don't, Don't let me lose you here. In the case of Abraham, justification means that he was counted as righteous in God's sight through faith alone. Now, this, this justified is a, is a financial term. It has the idea of to put to one's account. Uh, one scholar said, it, it's like Abraham was spiritually bankrupt. He trusted God's promises and God put righteousness in his account. Now, remember, Paul is arguing from Genesis chapter 15 to show you Abraham, he's saved, he's justified, righteousness in his account because he believed God. He believed God's promises. That's what Paul is arguing. Genesis 15, he's battling these opponents to say you can get into heaven through works. And what he's arguing is look at Abraham. He trusted in God's promises. He's justified through faith alone. James has different opponents. And James is not arguing about Abraham from Genesis 15. Stay with me. James is arguing from Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22 is about 30 years later. And God is calling Abraham to sacrifice his promised son. He wants him to kill Isaac on the altar. Abraham, acting out of faith, takes the knife to slaughter his son, but God stops him and provides another way in the sacrificial lamb. And by this act... James says, as we saw in verse 21, Abraham was justified by works. Now, I didn't make this up, but scholars explain this in, in a great way, that Paul and James are using justified in a different way. Paul means counted as righteous before God through faith. But James uses the word justifies, many of us would in our culture as well, use justified to mean to prove, to demonstrate righteousness. The idea is that in Genesis 15, Abraham believed God's promise. He was counted as righteous. 30 years later, he demonstrated the legitimacy of his faith for all to see. It's, it's almost like James is presenting a test case here to prove that Abraham's faith in Genesis 15 was not just intellectual assent. Abraham did not go, okay, God, I believe you intellectually. I'm going to leave it at that. No, but he takes God's promise and he takes his son. He's about to kill him. His faith worked. That's the way James is arguing. His faith worked. Let's keep going in the text here. Verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Are you get that? It's almost like we're saying that this evidence here was his action, that his faith was legit. His faith was completed by his works. it's, It's this kind of faith that is legitimate and will allow one to be justified. Verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Abraham was declared righteous, a friend of God, through faith that works. If you have true faith, then it will act. And that kind of faith is a justifying faith. In verse 24, kind of throws you off a bit. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone gulp. You're like, well, that just goes against Reformation right there. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Remember, Paul and James are not doing this. They're doing this. This is not the way that Paul uses faith alone in the finished work of Christ. James is referring to the faith alone that is absence of works. That's his whole point, a faith that is alone and absent of works will not justify or prove or demonstrate a real saving faith. You are not saved by a kind of faith that is alone and does not work. And the Apostle Paul would be in the back and he'd be like, amen, James. He would amen, James, because if you read the Apostle Paul, he is continually pointing to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and he's speaking of the obedience of faith. Romans 1.5, or the faith working through love, Galatians 5.6. Only real faith works. For us, we would argue that we are justified, declared righteous by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, but our works justify, prove, or demonstrate, or show evidence that our faith in Jesus is legit. And when we see this evidence and fruit and obedience in our own lives, it gives us assurance that we are saved. Now, I know some of you may, and I'm gonna get, I don't want to get off topic here because I'm going to go ahead and save you time. When you go to your ethos community and discuss this, I'm going to save you time right now. I do not believe the Bible teaches that you can lose your salvation, all right? I do not believe that. There, there is no way. I do not believe that you can trust in Christ, he can fill you with your spirit, and boom, you're lost. No, no. But I do believe that many people think they're saved who are not saved. And years later, they may say, well, I lost my salvation. Like, you didn't lose nothing. You never had it. Real faith works real faith will be demonstrated in a life of fruit and obedience. How do we know that Abraham's faith was legit? Because he acted upon it. He proved that it was legit. It sprung out of him in obedience in attempting to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now that is Abraham, father in the faith. Let's look at one more example and one that you wouldn't think the Bible would give, but it certainly gives, and that's an example of a prostitute. All right, let's do it. Example of a prostitute, verse 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Backstory is that Rahab was one of, of the, uh, the on the side of the enemies in Jericho and Joshua too. and a couple of spies came from Israel and, and those in Jericho hunt to capture them, right? But by faith, she hides these spies and helps them escape. Here's the deal. Rahab didn't just have an intellectual assent. She didn't just go, "You know, God in Israel, he's he's a true God." I intellectually assent to that. And that's it. No, no. How do we know that Rahab's faith is real? How do we know that? Because James says that her faith was active along with her works. And James tells us that she was justified by works, which means that her actions proved or demonstrated her faith. Only real faith works. This is not complicated. If you truly have faith, it will work. It will display itself in obedience. That the works, I'm not saying tag them on. I'm saying if you truly believe, out will spring works. You are saved by faith alone and the finished work of Christ alone. But that faith is never alone because it will produce works. Root yourself in grace. Root yourself in Jesus alone. Fix your eyes on him. If you truly do, you will produce works works. Finish it up, verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Just as you would cease to be alive without your spirit, so faith apart from works is dead. Only real faith works. When you stand before God one day, You will be accepted by faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone. But your faith must be a real faith that works and not a demonic, dead faith. How do we know that Abraham and Rahab's faith was real? They bore fruit and action. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Right now, test yourself. Do you see fruit in your life? Do others see obedience in your life? Not perfection, but fruit. Make sure you are saved. Do you have a saving faith that will stand in the judgment? I'm not telling you to add works. I'm not calling you to tack those on. But if you pull back... And you look at your life and you go, you know what? I don't know Jesus. I say I do, but there's no evidence. I say I do, but there's no evidence. Then you need to repent and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was 14 in Dallas-Fort Worth area, like all good boys and girls, I was invited by a friend to go to a Baptist Revival. I go to the Baptist Revival. I hear the altar call. I walk the aisle at 14. Jesus is my savior. I had a fish on the back of my car. It said, Jesus is Lord, really big. I had pictures of Jesus in my room. I had crosses and fishes around my neck. I was blinged out in Jesus stuff. I went to youth group, but I guarantee you, I was not saved. There would be no indication of fruit in my life. I was immersed in a culture of sexual morality, pornography, sleeping around. My mouth was filled with cursing. I could say Jesus is my Savior and then live a life filth. There's no way, absolutely no way. At 19, heard the gospel again, and the emphasis was, look, if you were going to follow Jesus, you repent of your sins, and you put your faith in him as Lord. None of this business that Jesus is my Savior and not my Lord. I do not know where you would ever get that in the Bible, that Jesus is Savior but not Lord. And if you are here this morning like me and you're mouthing the words, Jesus is your Savior, but there's no fruit and there's no obedience and there is habitual, unconfessed sin that you don't ever want to deal with, I'm asking you to doubt your salvation. As a pastor, you think that's the worst pastoral thing you could ever do is have someone doubt their salvation. And I would say it's the best thing I can do for your eternal salvation. Because maybe you're not saved. If you trust in Christ, He is your Lord. Doesn't mean you're not dealing with stuff. Doesn't mean everything's perfect in life. No, 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 no. You will have plenty of stuff that you'll deal with. But if He's Lord, you go from this living a life for yourself, fall in the world, and then you repent. And repent doesn't just mean, oh, I changed my mind. Repent means you stop going this way. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. That's what James is getting at. Is Jesus Lord? Have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because real faith works. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you would search our hearts. We can search our hearts and each other's hearts, but only truly you know if we submit to you as Lord. And I, I I just pray if there's anyone in here that was like me that was just saying that your Savior and not Lord, no matter if they've been claiming to be in the faith for 50 years, or maybe they're a teenager or a college student, and and right now, right now, there's no indication that they're following Jesus, but they mouth the words. They grew up in church. Their parents are Christians. Right now, may they repent and put their faith in you for forgiveness and grace and mercy and submit to you as Lord, you as King, And for those of us who know you, may we not go out here thinking, oh, we've got to do more works. No, but we just rejoice in the grace. Rejoice in the grace that we know in Jesus. And may out of that grace and mercy and gospel forgiveness and the cross and resurrection, may out of that flow these works. Lord Jesus Christ, continue to reign over our lives. In your name we pray, amen.